Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health for an exclusive 10% off. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code DAVE at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code DAVE. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Bulletproof Radio. I'm Dave Asprey. And yes, I have a little bit of laryngitis caused by sitting in my hyperbaric oxygen chamber without putting the oxygen through water the way you're supposed to. My own fault. Dried myself out. But hey, I'm all oxygenated, so maybe it was worth it. Today's cool fact of the day is that in the 18 and 1900s, doctors used to give tobacco smoke enemas as emergency resuscitators. The theory was that the warm smoke would warm your body and start breathing. I probably don't have to tell you, but that treatment didn't have a great success rate. Turns out though, there is an effect of nicotine on oxygen levels in the brain. So maybe they had some little inkling of that, but I don't think that's really something I'd recommend anymore. Today's guest needs no introduction. He is none other than Dr. Joseph Mercola, founder of the number one natural health site on the internet, Mercola.com, with one and a half million subscribers. He's written three New York Times bestsellers, The Great Bird Flu Hoax, The No Grand Diet, and Effortless Healing. You've seen him on just about every major media outlet. And he's also kind of a tech guy, a computer hobbyist since the mid 80s, with an interest in the internet that led him to create his website in 1997. Uh, Dr. Mercola, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you on. Well, thank you for having me, Dave. Appreciate it. I'm going to do my best to keep my voice strong during this, but uh, this is probably the lowest quality voice I've had. But I wanted to make sure I got you on the show to talk about effortless healing because it's coming out in softcover pretty soon. Yes, paperback, real soon. You've been one of those guys I've wanted to have on the show for a long time because uh, you know, you've, you've written extensively for going on almost 97 to 2007 or going on more than 15 years now mm-hmm. of just consistently writing stuff that oftentimes doesn't match the mainstream. You're, you're one of the guys who's actively stood up and, and invested a lot of your, your personal assets in fighting uh, for GMO labeling just so people can know whether it's in their food or not. And you've also stepped up on a bunch of other controversial issues. And the number one question that, that I think listeners want to know about, and what I want to know about is, what's motivating you? Like, why do you do this? 
well, I'm just passionate about health, you know, somewhat of it is a bit of selfish perspectives. I want to know as much as I can about how to stay healthy myself. And uh, which is one of the reasons why I started the newsletter in, in learning from breaking news and information that the leading scientists have dedicated large amounts of their lives, have taken decades to figure out, and then they've published these findings, and then I wanted to know about it. I figured if, if, it's, if it's interesting to me, it's probably interesting to a lot of other people, and it turns out it is. The challenge with most physicians is that they're trained in this jargon that makes it almost incomprehensible to communicate with most individuals. So we've simplified the, the terminology and the words and really seek to communicate in a clear, concise way the information that, that drives me to learn more about health, and, and uh, many people find it helpful. What changes have you had in your personal health? or your personal performance over the past you know, number of years that you've been doing this? Like what, what have you done to yourself um, that, that really has changed things for you? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's life is a journey and, uh, and health is a journey too. And you know, I'm always learning new things. So it probably is best to work backwards because it's kind of hard to remember all of them, but it's, you know, I've, I've learned so much from having the opportunity to interview some really incredible people and, and some novel ideas, but the most recent one probably was um, not sitting down. <laughs> I've been an athlete most of my life. I started exercising in 1968 and even, even ran a 250 marathon. And if I ran that a century ago, it would have been a world record, but I ran mine in, in the early 80s. Uh, so uh, I thought I was in good shape, but you know, after I stopped, was transitioned to full-time editor on the newsletter, I was doing a lot more sitting than when I was seeing patients. So I had this progressively increasing back pain that troubled me quite a bit. And I was seeing uh, a number of different chiropractors, really incredibly good chiropractors and different stretches and strengthening exercises, inversion tables, lasers, uh, infrared saunas, uh, you name it. I did, did dozens and dozens of different strategies, and yet the pain persisted. Never got better until I finally learned about sitting down and not the, the importance yeah. the importance of not sitting down. And I learned that from Dr. Vernikos initially, who was a, one of the scientists that that was responsible for taking care of the astronauts' health. And she, I did. She just helped me understand the importance of not sitting, but. I, what I was do is still sit down and stand up every 10 to 15 minutes. And that didn't work. I tried that for six months to a year until I interviewed Dr. Levine, who is one of the leading air researchers in this area out of the Mayo Clinic. And he convinced me just to stand up. So I did that, basically eliminated almost all of my sitting. I sit for less than 30 minutes a day, typically. And uh, my back pain has never returned unless I'm forced to sit for prolonged periods, like on a plane or a long car ride. And so that was important. A few people have commented that I'm standing up for my podcast uh, as well. When I record these things, I, I just about always stand up. And you're only the second guest out of 200 and uh, pushing 240 guests now who also stood up, except for Kelly Starrett, who is a functional movie. Yeah, I've podcast. interviewed Kelly, too. I love Kelly. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. He's a great guy. And he's doing a stand-up, uh, stand-up actually, desk at his kid's school right now. But yeah. He's a real innovator. He, I just like his, his uh, personality. He's great. He's, yeah, very uh, enthusiastic and all. Yeah. And so it's interesting, though, out of 200 and something people, many of them health and movement nutrition experts, the number of people who are standing up, you, Kelly, and me. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why do yeah, well, it's, it's new information. And, you know, I was skeptical for the longest time before I uh, really applied it personally. It just didn't make sense. I thought that this exercise I was doing was more than enough to compensate for it. But the studies are really clear, really, really clear. And there's thousands of them that say that you could be exercising an hour, two hours a day, be a professional athlete. And if you're sitting 12 to 16 hours a day, no amount of exercise is going to compensate for that. It's just metabolically, you can't, can't, and then physically and structurally too, at least for me, it was a big issue. So I, I think there's this disbelief and uh, somewhat like there was with smoking. In fact, that you know, many people call sitting the new smoking. Uh, but it's the same thing. People were in disbelief when they were smoking. They didn't understand that it can cause loads of disease, heart disease and cancer. So, but now we know. So yeah. that was one. Yeah, that was uh, one. I had a girlfriend seven, eight years ago that uh, got me into eating some bad eating patterns. And I gained about 10 pounds. I was up to almost 200 pounds. 
um, and it wasn't wasn't muscle. So uh, I had extra body fat. I must have been up to like twenty percent or so. And uh, learned about intermittent fasting and the importance of that. And so that was a huge benefit in my life. But then also learned that it's not something you do all the time. Yeah, it'll break <laughs> those rules, right? Definitely, it's targeted for a specific time. And usually, when you get rid of your insulin resistance, then you don't need it anymore. And it could be a problem. You can lose way too much weight if you continue and something like that. And, and you're working out pretty, pretty extensively, so you have to be careful. But most people don't don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, so that's that was a fair point. Important. It seems like you've over the over the years you've definitely added intermittent fasting and maybe you've increased the amount of fat in your in, mm-hmm. in your recommendations. What led you to increase fat in the nutritional stuff that you write about? Well, you don't really have much of an option, you know. And, uh, I'm a big fan of Dr. Ron Rosedale, yeah. who was one of my early mentors. Uh, he really is the person who first made me aware of the importance of insulin resistance in 1995. So 20 years ago, I was at a meeting with him in Chicago. It was like maybe 20 of us in the room it was a small natural medicine meeting. And he went on for three hours about diabetes and insulin resistance. And it was a new topic to me, but it's really, even now, 20 years later, the central core of my understanding of why most people get sick is because they have insulin resistance, it's pervasive. So in order to address that, you don't, you know, you have to lower your carbohydrates and then pro, too much protein is a problem because that yeah. also increases insulin. Uh, then you're really left with fat, and then you just have to differentiate the types of fat to healthy fats. So you know, I, at one time I was eating 70, 80 percent fat, but now that I'm not insulin resistant, and I, my body fat is almost is a pretty much ideal, about 11 percent or so. Uh, the I uh, you know I, I probably have a lot more fruit now than I typically do, and some grains. So maybe 40% fat or something, somewhere around there. Grains, but no wheat and no gluten, I'm assuming. No wheat, no. Yeah. I like quinoa. Okay. Some rice. Quinoa and rice. Uh, why, uh, why quinoa versus rice? Quinoa is really high in protein, uh, and it balances it out. It's just, you just it adds a variety to my diet. Is one of the reasons I picked it. And it seems to be a pretty decent grain and some other nutrients in there. And from the fruit perspective, there's there's all this stuff written, and a lot of which I I, I support about fructose and triglycerides, fructose and cancer, uh, fructose and advanced glycosylation, aging of tissues, and all. Um, there are a group of people who say, well, fruit doesn't count because it has fiber that kind of cancels out the fructose effect. Where do you fall in your your perspective on fructose from fruit versus fructose from high fructose corn syrup? I, I know one's better than the other, but do we, should we still care about fruit? Oh, absolutely. And, and I would not advise the majority of people watching this, although your audience might be a little bit different than mine, uh, to uh, consume larger amounts of fruit. It's probably a wa- an, an unwise idea if you're insulin resistant. So how do you know if you're insulin resistant? Well, are you overweight? Are you diabetic? Are you having problems with uh, high blood pressure? Or are you taking statin drugs? If any of those conditions or even better, have your doctor measure your fasting insulin level. And if any of those show that you have insulin resistance, then it's probably wise to stay away from fruit or at least have it in small quantities. So basically, uh, we recommend less than 15 grams of fructose a day. So obviously, there's a wide range of fructose and fruit, depending on which one you, you choose. So as long as you keep it low, you're probably okay. But if you have insulin resistance, you want to be really careful. If you don't, then you can have it and just want monitor those other other uh, variables. And as long as they're normal, you're probably okay. So there's nothing. You do, don't, definitely don't want high fructose corn syrup because that's a natu- an unnatural product. Uh, and one of the, you know, being healthy really isn't that hard. That's what I learned after 30 years of studying health. Is it's it's done with some pretty simple simple basics. And one of them is to eat real food. What a concept, you know, so stay away from processed foods. So that's one of the reasons why you want to avoid high fructose corn syrup. An orange, a mango, a tangerine, these are real foods. Now, if you have them in high amounts and you have insulin resistance, it's a problem, but it's still a real food. So that's what you want to focus on. So uh, that's a simple principle that works really quite well. Uh, and the, uh, the fiber in the fruit is, is also important to modulate some of them, the, the spikes in the insulin. Although Dr. Rose would probably disagree with my pers- perspective on this, I, I still think it's probably okay. I've gone back and forth on it, but I'm at the point now where uh, I think it's okay. In fact, I have like 
five dozen fruit trees on my property that I've planted and or produce in the process of producing uh, fruit. So there's also the the pleasure principle. Fruit tastes good, and so oh I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I recommend um, in in from my research, like if you're going to have have it probably at dinner or after dinner, get a little bit of the serotonin effect from it, but keep your overall levels low. And if you're having fruit for breakfast fruit for lunch, fruit for dinner, because fruits and vegetables are good for you together, like they're the same thing, that you're probably not going to like what happens, especially if you do it every day. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we have it seasonally too. Ideally, that's best to grow it yourself. I live in Florida, so I have an opportunity to grow a lot of different fruit trees. That's, that's, that's kind of cheating, isn't it? Because you grow fruit year-round. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't bear fruit year-round. Okay. Do. I don't live in southern Florida, so they, they can do that. But uh, most of the year, we're able to have harvest some type of fruit and i'm up in canada and we just planted a few trees but we'll have you know four week <laughs> yeah. season where there's fruit so <laughs> yeah you're really restricted to uh, apples pears yeah a few cherries it, when we're looking yeah cherries would be good up there yeah. too yeah the cherries down in florida aren't as good that's uh, fair point and the avocados in florida let's talk avocados yes. they're one of your favorite foods they're one of my favorite foods why do florida avocados taste like water balloons <laughs> have you noticed the difference yeah, I don't have many floor avocados. Typically, I get the Haas ones. Although okay. I'm growing down here, there's I, I live in North Central Florida, so okay. there's a, you can still grow the Haas types. There's oh, nice. there's different variants. So uh, and I they take a while to uh, mature. So my tr- trees are just starting to bear fruit now. Oh, that's uh, that's a lovely time. Yeah. The the avocado thing is something that a lot of like Californians don't know, but there's tropical avocados and there's the Haas variety, which are like creamier and mm-hmm. the nutrition factors for them are very different like the amount of fat you'll get from one species of avocado versus another if from memory i think it's about a 30 percent difference in the amount of fat because there's just which more, one has more of the haas the haas yeah the the tropical ones you get in hawaii or florida or um, sometimes like in vietnam or, or somewhere in southeast asia um, they're there's watery so instead of the fat there's water and they're still good for you, but you just have to eat more of them. And I don't know about the sugar content difference, but I was astounded when I had you know Hawaiian guacamole. I'm like, what's wrong with this? It, it didn't have the the creamy character to it that I'd come to expect. Yeah, the Florida avocados were really big. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I typically get the masses. So typically, I go up one a day, so they're good. They're really good in smoothies too. You can't use a full one. You've got to use like a, a third or even a quarter. Yeah, because they're just big. Yeah. Now, I, there's a few things that, that I'd love to run through that are controversial where you've been a leading voice on these. And, and these are ones where generally I'm, I'm in alignment with, with what you say there. And I think that your research is, is sound and that you've got a lot of courage because you, you just come out there and say some things like, look, this is the way it is. Um, but there's always controversy on the Internet. One of them, let's talk about Aspartam. Can you give me like the, the short rundown based on your experience, based on your research, of why why it's bad, what, what it does? Well, aspartame, it was about aspartame, right? So yeah. Okay, so aspartame is uh, is the per- most pernicious artificial sweetener. I wrote a book earlier, which is called Sweet Deception. <clears throat> it was really targeted for Splenda. In fact, it was threatened by Johnson & Johnson before it published it that if we published it, they were going to sue us. It was like a 20-page letter from a big New York law firm. Nice. And uh, nevertheless, we, we spent a little extra time on our references and documentation, but they never sued us because everything we said was true. But the reason why aspartame is the worst because it's the most toxic. And uh, briefly, it's, it's pivoted as being natural, but it's essentially a, it's an, an ester bond between phenylalanine and aspartic acid. And when it breaks down to the body, your body doesn't have the metabolic machinery to detoxify like other species do. Uh, humans just don't. And as a result, it goes into the, into the body, passes the blood-brain barrier, and there it's detoxified to methanol, a potent neurotoxin. Or I'm sorry, methanol, formaldehyde. The methanol yeah. breaks down to the formaldehyde. And the formaldehyde is just... It's, it destroys your brain cells and denatures your DNA. It's bad news. So uh, toxic as can be, it causes seizures, can, can cause seizures, migraines, even brain tumors. It's really clear. The evidence is uncontroversial if you carefully analyze it. Uh, and if you look at the studies that were published early on, it was like 85% of the studies that were done by industry showed that there was no problem, whereas 90% of the ones that were independent showed problems with it. 
So it was really clear. Thankfully, industry has caught up to this. Uh, I think largely as a result of our, our, our targeted exposure on this. If you type in aspartame on the internet, uh, using Google will come up number two. So they didn't like that. You. <laughs> uh, the uh, sales of diet sodas in general, aspartame being the leading component of most of the diet sodas, are down 6% the last two years. So what does that translate to? I was kind of curious, you know, what type of impact we have financially on these companies. Do you know what that number is? 6% decrease in sales annually? It's got to be like $3 billion or something. $10 billion. Oh, I love that. $10 billion loss. So just recently, Pepsi announced that they're taking aspartame out. That is the biggest win it. ever, by the way. And, and just full full credit, your voice has been one of the ones that made that happen. Like, like you really have been leading that. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I don't know that many are aware of that, but you know it's been important for us. And in fact, uh, well, there's some interesting developments that you will see next year that will literally blow the top off of the entire diet industry. I, I, you know, we've got some things in the works that. It's going to be mainstream news, front page, and you you will be surprised next year once this thing launches. It's <laughs> really exciting. We're taking them down. <laughs> it, it is because I, yeah. So you know, a while ago we realized, you know, I can provide information. We've been doing this for just about twenty years, eighteen years this year, actually. So eighteen years. So five years ago we said, listen. You can continue to educate people, and we do that, but we have to play a more aggressive role. So we turn into an activist, and as we've been active in the GMO labeling issue, uh, and I think we're going to be be victorious there too. We're definitely changing, uh, causing changes in the direction of Monsanto and these other evil corporations. So, uh, and it's it's we're making progress. So it's it, but but someone needed to step up and take a leadership role and work with other people, you know, to get them co- coordinated, collaborated, to focus on this because they outnumber us in volume of, of influence of their, their resources. I mean, they have access to billions and billions of dollars and we just have millions, a few millions. That's nothing compared to that number is more than thousand to one. So we copy a lot of their strategies because their strategies work. Yep. Uh, and it's pretty pretty interesting what you can do if you're committed and you're dedicated and you coordinate it with a lot of like-minded individuals, which, which there's some incredible people out there. So we just connect with them, work together cohesively, and you know basically we're able to to clobber them. And uh, we will ultimately be victorious in many of these fronts. Just uh, maybe last year, I went to a conference at Stanford on neuromarketing which is you know, using brain science to look at the brains of people as they look at, at mm-hmm. what's happening uh, with ads. So you look at an ad, what does it do to your brain? And sitting right next to me was the CMO for Monsanto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you're saying their, their ad techniques work, well, the big companies like that really do go out and do every little thing they can do. Yes. They can and, afford it. Yeah, yeah, they can. It's crazy not to. And it's, it is amazing how effective you can be when you're dealing with garbage and lies and deception and fraud because these techniques are so powerful. So, uh, and, st- and it's not just like that's a technique, but there's, there's even more powerful strategic interventions in, that you can do and, and they aggressively deploy. So we learn by following what they're doing and we, we de- de- deploy similar strategies because they work and it's pretty effective you know, uh, how, how we're able to make some dents. And uh, one of the most recent ones was the uh, strategy. Well, I can't go into that because it's still in discussion. Uh, yeah. just, uh, Don't mess it, anything but, up. You're, you're doing good work. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty, pretty amazing what you can do. So when, when you talk about we, uh, obviously you're not in this all by yourself. Just like oh, me. no. I, I'm pretty much the voice. I'm the, yeah. you know, I get the, some of the ideas and I'm the content team leader, but I have a whole, whole team that's responsible. The person that runs the company is uh, Steve Rye, and he's a really high-power, strategic, incredibly good thinker. I mean, he's, you know, we're right now, he's going to be, as I spoke in the day, he's going out to Denver tomorrow, and he's going to be meeting with the American grass-fed people out there and slow meat and, you know, so we're, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but most grass-fed beef in the U.S., is not grown in the U.S. Oh, it's yeah. It's Australian and New Zealand. and yeah. yeah, so we're changing that. We're in the changing that. There's American Grass-Fed Beef Association. We're cooperating with them. We're having this whole big strategy of, of raising the beef that we eat in the U.S. on, on properly 100% pure, 
pasture pasture raised beef, and, and, and then using the byproducts, the organs, and a lot of the other complete things for for foods and for pet foods. And there's so many things that can be done that just you know people weren't interested in. But if, if we, you know we have the ability to take the not that knowledge, coordinate things, and then offer to people because you know we've got the influence of reaching a lot of people. We're reaching 10 million unique visitors every month now. So. That is unbelievable. Interesting, you know, that it's grown grown so much. Bulletproof gets 10% of that. And one of the things that that I learned from, I went grass-fed more than 10 years ago as part of uh, restoring my wife's fertility. And I just will not eat grain-fed meat because it makes me feel awful. And the Bulletproof Coffee Shop is a restaurant opening in Santa Monica actually this month. And we are featuring grass-fed beef, but not just grass-fed beef, grass-fed beef from this ranch and then from this ranch and then from this ranch, just like wine. Like wine from this winery is different. Beef from this beefery is different. And we want to show people, like taste it, see how you feel. And because once they taste it once at the Bulletproof Coffee Shop, they can go out and they can get grass-fed beef and find out the difference it makes for them. And that will change the, the demand for grass-fed beef, which will, of course, change the supply, which is what you're talking about doing. And thanks for that work. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem is, is you have to have a, a finishing operation, which actually uh, butchers the, the cattle. And it can't be mixed up. It has to be dedicated to them. And you need a large volume for that to work. So it's just a matter of making, coordinating the efforts and the supply so that it can keep that plant busy. There's also differences in when you're butchering grass-fed cattle, when you cool the carcasses. If you cool them wrong, it's tough. If you cool them right, it's tender. And yeah. it's just different than grain-fed meat. So a lot of places just aren't equipped to do the work. And, yeah. and yeah, It's the devil's in the details. Got to yeah. do it right, otherwise it's not going to work. But once it's done right, it's an amazing food. It, it really is. Um, this, this year, when I'm home, all of the beef that I eat actually um, ate the grass from the front part of my property. So we're raising the grass, but not the cows yet. And it just, it makes a difference in how you feel and how your kids perform, how your brain performs. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, ideally, you know, one of my passions is regenerative agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, some of the projections are that within the next 60 years, we're going to lose most of the topsoil on the planet. Yeah. Uh, and we'll not be able to sustain the human race. So it's, it's a relatively urgent need. It's not you know, 60 years away, but it's not that far. So, uh, but what I, what I learned is that integrating animals into the process is a really powerful way to do that. And some of the help, the best soil ever developed on earth supposedly is in the American Great Plains when they had all these herbivores, these buffaloes that were depositing their, their waste and trampling it in and having these cocktail cover crops growing up that furthered the amount of organic content and carbon they can integrate into the soil. Well, let's talk about glyphosate or Roundup. Is it, it's, sure. an, it's an antibiotic. It kills bacteria. When you spray it on that healthy soil, what happens to the soil? Well, a number of things. It chelates out the minerals. It's also a thing. It's, it's originally patented as a chelator and an antibiotic. The reason it works as an antibiotic is because it takes away the minerals, uh, like zinc and manganese are two of the most, most potent ones. But uh, it is bad news. It really devastates the, the You know, if you put... Glyphosate or Roundup, Roundup is actually much more toxic. Some of the studies show it might be 100, 200 times more toxic than glyphosate because the surfactants in Roundup make it much worse. Totally disrupts cell cell membranes, mitochondria. It's bad news. So if you put it in sterile soil, guess what? It doesn't work. That's not its mechanism. Actually, the way it works is through the soil microbes. And then they cause diseases uh, to the plant that, that... basically cripple it because its immune system is severely compromised. And it's really devastating. It's just, it just, because not only is it the issue with GMO crops and the Roundup that they're spraying on it, but they're actually spraying on non-GMO crops, yeah. you know, like wheat, like who doesn't eat wheat, like virtually very few people. So they use it to dry it. And it's just as damn dangerous once it gets in there because it's integrated into every single cell of the plant. They use it to kill the wheat and then dries it, dry it out. And it's in a, you know, you cannot wash this stuff off. So you eat the average American, how much glyphosate or Roundup do you think the average American is eating every year? You know, I've never quantified it, but it's gotta be a, a ridiculous amount because if it's sprayed on a crop, you eat the crop. It's their the body weight, about no 150 way. pounds every year. 
How can that not, be? They're not eating that much glyphosate. They're eating that much food sprayed oh, okay. with glyphosate and integrated yeah. into cells. I'm sorry. That. Okay. <laughs> But it, they're spraying a bill, basically a billion pounds of this stuff every year. So it is dangerous as can be. It's just it, it's absolutely ridiculous that they're getting away with the sham. And it all relates to this uh, this legislation. I don't know if you saw my interview with Stephen Drucker, who wrote the book Twisted Genes. Uh, no, he is a he knew about this stuff ten years before I did, and he actually sued the FDA in 1997 for their 1992 ruling on glyphosate that essentially allowed it to be grass, generally recognized as safe, which was the central reason why it's used worldwide now because of that 1992 FDA ruling. And he actually, through clever, deceptive techniques, he actually his case was dismissed. And even though they showed <laughs> the basis of it, said it wasn't relevant to this case, because it was introduced after they made the decision. And it's just so insane. If you just, it's really a phenomenal book. And, it, and he helped me understand that it's not so much Monsanto that's really the pernicious evil in this whole operation. Who do you think, that, who do you think was responsible for this? If it isn't Monsanto. Uh, they're the ones, they're the du, bullet. But who pulled the trigger? I would guess. Who's that? DuPont, I would guess. No, it's not a company. They're just like, those, those are bullets. The one who pulled the trigger was the molecular biologist. Scam above all. If they weren't in on this collusion, they would have never gotten away with it. There's no way the FDA would have ever had that ruling in 1992. It became over 20, it was about 18 years. They just, because they introduced genetically modified, genetically engineered products. And then there was this really bad feedback from the public. says, no, we can't have that. So they said, oh, this isn't going to work. We got to change our strategy. So they all got together and had agreed to, to light tone down this thing and and they just took that strategy thinking that if they don't if, they, if the public disagreed with us we can't get our funding so they were all willing collusion to this and a few of them weren't and uh, they wrote you know they basically helped save us for, you know some of these early molecular biologists but essentially it was a molecular biologist that ruined this whole strategy so wow. you know the professional scientific community you know and yeah, you remember that speech that Eisenhower gave when he was president, when he was basically leaving the office. Remember how he warned us of the military-industrial complex? Remember yeah. that? Yeah. I'm sure you've seen videos of it. It's quite a famous video. But he also warned the scientific elite, even as much as the military-industrial complex. And that's what the problem we have. That's the problem we have with molecular biologists and the safety of GMO foods. It's the same damn problem we have with vaccines. You know that they that they get away with this nonsense that that they can essentially mandate it for the entire population or virtually the entire population with virtually no assurances guarantees of safety. No, no, we just want to do it. One of the things about a glyphosate that's really interesting to me is that when you spray it on fungus, it causes the fungus to make a lot more mycotoxin. And I've just completed, and I'm launching next week a film called Moldy. And I've for two years been filming this. I've interviewed guys like Richie Shoemaker, uh, Mark Hyman, Daniel Amen, and a whole bunch of people have been affected by environmental mold growing in their homes. And we tortured our soil microbes so much that the fungus in the soil started making more toxins than it did historically. There's been genetic changes and there's been toxin level changes. And glyphosate's one of the things that made what grows behind your drywall so toxic. So the, the connection between what's happening in our homes and what's happening um, in, uh, in our cropland and in our soil, is, it's undeniable, but it's almost unheard of. So I'm particularly interested in the angle of, okay, if some plants get sick when you spray glyphosate or Roundup on them, um, what happens to the fungus? So are you familiar with that story? I know you've written some things about it, but that may have been your team. Are, are you up to date well, on microtoxins? I just, I just interviewed Suzanne Summers, and her, her notebook okay. is Toxic. Yeah. And she and her husband were both exposed. Her husband was uh, had a progressive neurological disease and they wanted to do something. They basically thought he was dead. Yeah. And she was diagnosed as cancer. And, and they dealt, then it didn't, no one figured out there was toxic mold going to this home that they was in because her home in Malibu was destroyed and they had to go into this rental home, which is really high end home, but it was loaded with toxic mold in the basement. So she figured it out and got better and didn't go on any of the anti cancer drugs. But, you know, the 70% uh, of the microbes in the soil are fungal. Yeah. 
And that really is, that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about using wood chips as a soil amendment to build not only increase the concentration of carbon in the soil, but to actually massively increase the mycorrhizal fungi, uh, increase earthworm population, decrease irrigation needs, decrease the need, almost eliminate the use of uh, fertilizers. So it's a beautiful thing. And when you do these things and you have the, you use these proper biological regenerative agricultural approaches, you don't need products like glyphosate and Roundup, yeah. which devastate the soil microbiology, uh, cause the, the fungals, fungal elements to mutate to the point where they're making toxins that are even more pernicious to humans and certainly not beneficial for the plants. So they just upset this whole ecological balance and uh, they push it in the wrong direction. And you don't have to do that. You know, it really is sad if you just simple, basic principles. And I, and I love uh, regenerative agriculture because it's such a, it's like, it was initially, it was a puzzle to me. I didn't know how to get plants to grow healthy, uh, but there's a lot of similarities between that and health. So I was able yeah. to pick it up relatively quickly. And, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of this pilot project on my own personal property to, 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 to see how it works. And once it does, I'm going to, Promote my next book will be effortless gardening and hopefully encourage a nationwide uh, repeat of what we did in World War II with the Victory Gardens, where the vast majority of the produce produced in the United States was grown in people's backyards, which I think is really the, where we're heading towards. Because if we're in sixty years, not going to have any commercial topsoil left. That's not a good thing. And we're so the only way you to get to food is your own food is grow, and that's a good thing because you could you you can make incredibly nutrient dense food if you grow it locally. And, uh, you know, another important part of the growing your own healthy food is our minerals, obviously. That's one of the reasons why, you know, even organically grown food isn't necessarily good, good because it depends on if the, what they did with the soil and how they were able to bring the mineral contents up. And one of the things I've learned is uh, that minerals from the ocean uh, can be very useful here if you're able yeah. to effectively remove all the sodium chloride, which can be highly toxic to most plants, especially citrus plants. Uh, but if you remove them all, then you've got 62 minerals that usually can catalyze these rate-limited actions and you can maximize the genetic potential of the plant. So, I mean, it's just when you use these things, typically in a, uh, they're ionic ocean minerals and you do them in a foliar spray, unbelievable. You just see tremendous growth, resistance to disease, and, you know, the taste and the flavor of the food is just incredible. So it's amazing with simple things like ground cover uh, and these minerals and, you know, healthy seeds, heirloom seeds, you know, the, the type of food that you can produce. It, it's remarkable. I, I live about a 10 minute walk from the ocean and this year my family will grow all of its own food, which people. Excellent. Have, That's a hard to do. It, it is. We're on 32 acres and we're turning into an organic uh, permaculture farm. So like we're in very much alignment there and, and people say. Do you, like, do you, do you circle, circulate your family's waste back into the land? Well, we have a septic tank. So from that perspective, we do. But uh, do you mean like compost waste or something else? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, see, I mean, that's what I do for my own urine. I live in a regular you know, sub, well, I guess it's a suburb mm -hmm. municipality. Uh, but I save all my urine and I put that in the plants, you know, diluted, of course. That's got to be really good for them. I do something a little simpler since well, you can't see anyone from where I live. I just walk out and pee wherever I feel like exactly you gotta have chickens for sure that's um, easy. there will be ducks and geese but they're not in yet oh okay Good. yeah ducks eat slugs better than chickens and chickens are I don't know they're common to know and duck eggs are also so creamy and delicious well, it works for slugs too it's something called sluggo s-l-u-g-g-o is that it's the a, copper stuff or no it's a, it's a natural product it's like I think it's iron pyrophosphate Okay. And uh, it's toxic as heck to slugs, and it's a nutrient in the soil. So it's a win-win. Well, that works. Well, so, so people who are listening now might be going, oh, my God, Dave and Dr. Mercola just started talking about killing slugs and ducks. And, <laughs> and the, the whole point, the reason that we're talking about this is that you and I both care very much about health and, and how we feel. And if you want control of, of your biology, um, if, if you want to actually be in charge of your life, you got to be in charge of what you put in your mouth. And yeah. Right now, not only is this a cost-effective way to do it, but this is a way to get higher quality than you could buy at the grocery store for any amount of money. And that's why it's worth doing it. And that's why if you want to really like make a lot of money as a young person, start a business where you go and you manage the garden for someone in their backyard when they're too busy to do it. There's yeah, a, a huge way for that. Yeah, I'm a big 
fan of science and technology, and I'm absolutely convinced of the eventual integration of artificial general intelligence, which will eliminate literally tens of millions of jobs. I mean, you know, we have an unemployment problem already yeah. in this country. There's no question. It's going to get massively worse. There's worse. no way the economy in this country is going to get any better anytime soon. It just isn't. That's a fact. So that's great advice you have. That, that is one good strategy you can have because people need to eat. So if you can become proficient at these tools and techniques and, and serve them in that way, you'll, you'll always have a job. Yeah. And there's also something that comes from like Buddhist teachings. And the Buddhists say, minimize the number of people who touch your food, hmm. which is okay. I have no idea whether that's scientifically yeah. validated, but there's something it to it. Sense. I mean, you can't yeah. process it if not that many people are touching it. Right. Like, it's just more difficult. You can't process it. And it may be something more subtle than that where like, there's something about, oh, this cucumber grew in my backyard and I'm eating it for dinner. Like it, it may synchronize you with your biome. There's, there's talk about communication between soil microbes and the, the microbes in your stomach. And maybe there's benefits to having the soil microbes from your backyard talk to the things in your stomach to tell you, tell your system about what's going on in the environment. There's just stuff we don't know, but you feel better when you eat this. No question. You know, you asked early on one of the other things I was doing, and uh, I think it was like five years ago now, we connected with, I had dinner with uh, Dr. Natasha McCampbell McBride. Yeah, yeah. And she is a neurologist who has a child, a son with autism and got passionate about this and now does that full time. But she's really known for the GAPS diet, which is gut, gut mm -hmm. associated psychology syndrome. Yeah. And you know, the, the basic strategy there is, is ultimately to use fermented food. She has a lot of bone broths for a transitional diet that she has puts people on, but ultimately people wind up on the fermented foods to optimize your gut. So I started doing that once after I had dinner with her and, you know, basically realized uh, that these bacteria are making a lot of good things. Not only are you getting the volume of the beneficial microbes, uh, uh, but I said, well, how many are we getting? You know, because we sell a really good, high potency probiotic with incredible strains, one of the best on the market. But that, uh, uh, that I think one or two capsules is a hundred billion, which is pretty high potency. Yeah. So I said, well, if I'm eating the fermented vegetables, how many are in there? So we did the analysis. It was like 10 trillion. It was more than a whole bottle of our probiotics and just in two or three ounces of the fermented vegetables. So I said, well, this is good. I don't need to take any more probiotics. And then I said, well, let's make this better because one of the, the important nutrients that most people don't get enough of, I mean, almost everyone seeing this video is deficient in this, is vitamin K2. Yes. Now, I was one of the guys who really heavily promoted the use of vitamin D. Uh, probably that was the main catalyst to get it implemented and adopted in the United States. I didn't just invent it or anything, of course, but I just oh. popularized it. You and Dr. Kennel. Endlessly persistent yeah. with it. Yeah. And I'm grateful that people have adopted it, but vitamin D doesn't work. It works in conjunction with K2 and it is the massively important for increasing your bone density, but more important, reducing cardiovascular disease because it sucks out the calcium from the lining of the blood vessel and puts it back into the bone. And you can have the best vitamin D levels in the world and it's not going to do that. It's not designed to work that way. It needs to work with K2. So where do you get K2? It's fermented foods. The highest source in the world is natto, which is produced by a, a species of bacteria called Bacillus subtilis. And so I said, if, well, let's see if we can do something. So we changed, we played, we had the starter culture that I made in my fermented foods with. We changed and played with it. We got to the point where it's making four or 500 micrograms of vitamin K2. Wow. And typically a vitamin K2 supplement is about a 200 micrograms. And it's, it's pricey. It's a dollar, two dollars a pill. So you could, you could ferment your own food with this specific starter culture. We have, we developed one called kinetic starter culture and it makes you, you, you get vitamin K2 for free and you get 10 trillion bacteria. It's like, do you, sell you that? have to spend like $50 of supplements every day to equal that. And it's just, and it's real food. Is that something you sell? Yeah. Yeah. With the kinetic culture, but you got to make the vegetables yourself. That you is, that's so interesting. One of my yeah. biggest complaints about fermented food, Dr. McCall, has been that you don't know what it is because most people just it, dump their cabbage in a bucket and then they don't control temperature, they don't control time, and they don't know what their starter culture is. So they're getting histamine, they're getting species. Well, a lot of people species. make wild fermentation. Yeah. And rather than getting it a week, it takes three weeks to do it and, you're, and it's an experiment, you know? Yeah. Wild fermentation, I think, can be dangerous because of what we just talked about were things like 
um, the spraying of the soil changes the toxicity of the fungus. So then all of a sudden you get yeast out there. And what's happening, whatever that yeast is making, maybe is good for you, maybe it isn't. But you just don't know. It, right. It's kind of a fermentation roulette from my perspective. Yeah, so that's that's a that's a good tech tech tip, and you know, I just had a discussion with uh, my CEO right before this call, and I didn't realize it's still relatively it's not appreciated. Vitamin K two yeah. is an emerging, and it's really only a very small number of people who understand this. Probably a good percentage of your audience, I would assume, but it's yeah, it's, it's huge, it's important. It's it's a very small fraction of people who get understand vitamin D. So the best way to do it is to just get it for free in the food you make. I mean, you could buy a supplement, swallow it, but you know why do it when you can get it for free? You can also do the good old fashioned cultured butter. You know, I'm, I'm well known for promoting yeah, butter. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think it has. You need about 200 mics, micrograms. And mm-hmm. I don't. Depending on the the way you to culture it, I don't. I don't know. It would be therapeutically or clinically useful. It might only be like 20, 30 micrograms. Interesting. I'll, I'll check so that you out. Have to, you have to look it up or send it to a lab and measure it if you're going to use it regularly. It also depends on the uh, the quality of the butter and the quality of the fermentation and all. So I'll actually take that as yeah, a and it's butter. Butter is good for other reasons. I go oh, through yeah. a pound of butter almost every week, certainly every two weeks. Oh, yeah. I love butter. It, it's ridiculous uh, for me what adding butter back in. I was a raw vegan for a while. And you know, I used to weigh 300 pounds and had mold toxicity and Lyme disease and chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, like the whole, all the bad things you could, you could get. And man, what a, what a difference putting butter back in with my vegetables made. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. It really is. Well, <laughs> but it should be raw and yeah. grass fed, ideally. Yeah. Well, I think grass fed is terribly important and raw. If you can, if you can find it great, but if you find um, cultured, not raw, but still grass-fed. There's yeah, lots that, that's of benefits good. to that. Yeah, it'll work, but it's not the best. Now, something that can affect fermentation and something that can affect other things like your gut, your gut microbe is fluoride. And you've also been one of those guys out there who's been saying uh, for many, many years, like fluoride's a drug. And I know my grandfather was a, a fluoride chemist on the Manhattan Project, and he's like, I wouldn't put that stuff anywhere near my body, but. There's, I drank water with it as a kid, and my teeth show excessive fluoride, and I don't touch the stuff. I don't let my kids touch the stuff. Why should people listening to this podcast consider making sure there's no fluoride in their water? Like, what, what's bad about it? Well, right now, we have 40% of American adolescents have dental fluorosis, which is cosmetic damage to the outside of their teeth, which is what sounds like that you, you had when you were younger. Yep. So uh, that's one, but that's just cosmetic. But you got to think, if it's causing my teeth to be discolored, what the heck is it doing to my bones? Yep. It's not good. I mean, it, it's well documented to cause osteonecrosis of the jaw. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's fact. So, and that's, that's one of the dangers, but it can lead to, it's, it's, a, it's a halogen. One of the other pernicious problems with it, especially if you're a woman, you know, hypothyroidism is sort of an epidemic in, in, the, in the Western world. And fluoride will actually displace the iodine from the thyroid, causing you to be relatively hypothyroid. So it's really hard to get fluoride out of the water. Now, it sounds like where you live, it's not an issue because you've got your own well. It sounds yep. like it's 32 acres. Uh, but if you live in a municipality, it's almost invariably going to be fluoridated. The we were successful in keeping fluoride out of the water of Portland, the 28th largest city in the United States. And they, they've always been fluoride-free, but the city council there decided, oh, we're going to change this. And the pro-fluoride movement says we're going to make an example of Portland. But we were able to intervene two years ago and help them in their, their support to defeat that initiative. So fluoride is the, the largest city in the U.S. that's not Florida. Portland has uh, special powers. They've been able to block Uber, which is just insane. No, I don't know how anyone could do that. But but that city will go to the ends of the earth to do what it wants. So I'm, I'm pleased yeah. that they did that. Yeah, I'm pleased too. Although I'm, I don't know about Uber. I, I'm particularly, I'm a big fan. No, I, me too. I, I love Uber. But if I like this technology. It just yeah. seems to make so much if, sense. If you can stop Uber, you have almost unlimited power. That's what I'm saying. I, I, yeah. I also take Uber. I don't rent cars anymore. I was kind of sad when I got to Portland. I didn't know what to do, but uh, I hitchhiked. It was almost the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll work. Uh, but, you know, it, it'll, it, Clearly, will be a non-issue in the relatively near future because we're going to have self-driving cars. They exist now, 
Uh, and the, I own a, a Tesla, and I'm told within the next month they'll be, have, be able to software download. We'll be able to self-drive on the on the uh, highway. So yeah. it'll be here, and you you know you won't have to own a car. You just call one up on your phone, Bing Bing, it comes and picks you up. You don't have to worry about insurance, parking, none of that stuff. Your garage, you can yeah. use your garage yeah. for an office. It, a lot of people probably don't know that about you, but you're a technology kind of a futurist guy, and I, I hang out with Peter Diamandis and oh, the, spa- yeah, the SpaceX him. people. I don't know him personally, but he's a good guy. And I'm a member of his his mastermind, his Abundance oh. 360, and and I've I've had the great fortune to to spend several days with him and. Um, all of the guys at that level are saying exactly what you're saying, which is, yeah, self-driving cars, they're not 10 years away. They're oh, happening. No. Mining asteroids for minerals. Like I've held the equipment that is being sent to the asteroids in my own hands. Yeah. Like, this is happening. The world is changing in a way that we don't know about. But the thing that sucks is that you and I both know this, but it doesn't matter if we have self-driving cars if there isn't any food because we killed our soil. No. <laughs> or you're sick as can be because yeah. you've eaten the wrong food. We can have only self-driving ambulances. That's the only thing we'll need to just yeah, shuttle yeah, us back and forth. Totally I, they, the, most of those guys don't understand the health component. They they really yeah. don't. At least that has been my experience. Well, they they didn't. But I, I the last time I was at one of these these groups, you know, there's 20 of these guys with more money than the average person sure. by orders of magnitude. And I pulled out my little crack bag full of vitamins. I, I take a hundred supplements a day, probably. Yeah. And instead of looking at me like a crazy person, like they have for years in Silicon Valley. Most of these guys said, oh, you too? And they pull out their own little bags of vitamins. They're yeah, all paying good. attention. Like yeah. that is a big change as important as driving car, as self-driving cars. Because Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's not the supplements. It's the food. Well, it's they're the doing key. both, right? You, okay, yeah, you, you, gotta have the, you have to have the key food. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you eat crap, supplements won't fix it. But if you eat great right. food, supplements still help, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I take yeah. enough myself. <laughs> so, you know, one of the other things I'm doing, just so this isn't a, an associated tangent. Um, because of of, of an artifact of not sitting well, I'm walking. So I walk two hours a day when I'm home and I usually walk it on the beach. So I'm able to read. Now I can read two books a week about as my average. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's three. Uh, but I've read both of Peter's books, bold and abundance. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you've read, um, the biography of Elon Musk lately, recently. I mean, he it's, just published a few weeks ago. It's on my list. I heard the oh, it is NPR, just but. beyond. You have to read this okay. book. It is one of the most inspiring books I've read in a long, long time. I mean, he is an amazing individual, absolutely amazing. And he will go down. He he will far eclipse Steve Jobs and Bill Gates yeah. together. I, I met him at Steve at SpaceX. I almost called it Steve X. <laughs> I met him at SpaceX, uh, and yeah. The, the guy is unstoppable uh, mentally. He's he's driven by something I've not seen before. But yeah, it, he is. He, I mean, it matter. I mean, the way the key to be successful is to be passionate. And boy, I mean, if you got look up passion in the dictionary. He's yeah. going to probably have his name there. I mean, it's so, just, and, and the book does such a. It's written so well and it just details all the experiences. You know, you know the great amount of experience he had in his life to. That demonstrates that passion and that commitment, that drive, that dedication is just insurmountable in the in, in the midst of what appears to be imminent failure on multiple times. So it's, it was a really inspiring book, very encouraging for anyone. What, what it makes me think about, uh, Dr. McCullough, is how uh, you and I and, and a few other people can be the, the Elon Musks of our soil because we need that level of innovation. Oh, yeah. to, to fix what's already been done to the soil. And without that level of world changing, it's going to be kind of ugly a hundred years from yeah. now and it, yeah. it's fixable though. I absolutely believe it. And we're making changes and trends. I mean, there's, and it's just, it's just, you got to get this critical threshold or tipping point of people to understand, appreciate and apply it. And it yeah. starts to spread. So that's my new passion is really is regenerative agriculture. That's wow. where I spend a lot of my spare time I, is I understanding this deeper and, and really applying it and start to teach it to individuals. I had no idea. So we're, we're so much in alignment on that. Uh, maybe if I'm in Florida sometime, I'll, I'll look you up. If we both are in the same, yeah. same place, I'll look at your garden. And if you're ever on Vancouver Island, uh, you're always invited to come check out mine. Whatever. Which island are you on? I'm on Maine, Vancouver Island. I'm, oh, lo- Maine, I'm, I'm looking out over Salt Spring, but I'm on the Vancouver Island side. Yeah, that's a nice area. Now we're, we're coming up on the end of the show and there's uh, one question that I've asked everyone on the show. And I think your answers might be different than anyone else after a couple hundred episodes. And it's given everything, you know, from your work and just from your life. If someone came to you today and said, look, I want to perform better at, at anything, 
what are your top three recommendations? Like, if you want to kick more ass, do these three things. Perform better at anything. Yeah, whatever you're here to do. So some people are moms, some people are dads, sure. some people are entrepreneurs, some people play soccer, yeah, whatever so, you love. Well, clearly, based on my the core of my understanding of how to optimize your health is to not be insulin resistant. Okay. So take do whatever it takes to not be insulin resistant. Typically, if you are, that's going to be intermittent fasting, and, and you know, and all the principles we talked about are alluded to in this conversation, which is you know, healthy fats and minimizing the grains, the fruits, all of that. So, do, you know, be insulin and leptin resistant because it's it's yeah. cousin. It's actually even more important, but you know, it's easier to measure insulin. Um, I think a hidden one that I ignored for many many years and have come to fully more fully appreciate is sleep. Uh, and make sure you're sleeping eight hours. It sounds simple and stupid, and your parents probably told you about it all, you know, for years. But you know, you for somehow most of us think that we're exceptions. Especially you're hard driving, you've got a lot of stuff to do and no time left to do, and you've got a family, so you compromise your sleep. So make sure you're getting eight hours of sleep would be a huge. Uh, and, and I think really, well, three is hard. You know, <laughs> you know one of the things is. I focus on is, is, is your fluid intake. And, you know, from my perspective is to optimize your water. And there's a lot of ways to do that. We didn't talk about them, but structured water is massively important. Uh, making sure you're structuring it with the specific types of minerals. Uh, structured water is sort of energetic, energized water. It's the water inside of cells. It's the water that you get if you take a fruit and squeeze the juice out of it or, or a vegetable. You have vegetable juices. All that water is structured. Vegetable does it or the, the plant does it for you. But you could, there are mechanical devices that will structure it for you too. And then um, you can also have water with hot, that's high in hydrogen gas, which is a whole topic for the, it would take about an hour to explain, but that's a, it's sort of what happens in our gut. This is the production of hydrogen gas. So that's kind of all related to the water intake. So if, if you're drinking hot, healthy water, you're not drinking soda or Gatorade or you know, these other power drinks, uh, that people tend like Red Bull or something that people oh, yeah. have to stay healthy. The, the stay opposite healthy. of structured water, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and then uh, what's this? It's, uh, did I get three? I that was three. You had insulin resistance, yeah. um, structured water, and sleep. Yeah. So there's some basics, yeah, but there's so many more that you could talk about, you know, like passion and and Let, let's do let's do three more. Like if you'll be the only guy to get a bonus three because you spent your life doing this stuff. What would your next three be? What we talked about is just to be passionate yeah. because that will drive you. And Elon's the classic example there. So you just truly, authentically, not academically, intellectually, but at your core, just passionate about something, you're going to be successful at whatever it is, as long as it's your true, authentic passion. Yeah. So that's key. And it's sort of an artifact of that is to be joyful. Uh, as part of that process. And, it's, and sort of a, a secondary effect from sleep is, is meditation, which I think is another powerful discipline that certainly a lot of people appreciate and do, but many people fail to implement. So I've been playing with that for the, the last year and able to meditate for about 30 minutes a day. And I use a technology that is actually able to monitor my brain waves that can tell me what levels of meditation. Uh, you and me both. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So that that's what I do. And, uh, Love, you know, I mean, I mean, it's the ultimate core in driving, you know, so in your relationships, ideally your spouse uh, or, or your children, your parents, you know, and your, your uh, relatives and friends. So, you know, I think that's the key. Awesome. Well, Dr. Mercola, thank you for being on Bulletproof Radio today. I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for all you do. Uh, you know, you're doing some great work there spreading. There's a lot, a lot of people that understand this at the core level, like, like you do. So appreciate you spreading the word and congratulations. I think the last time I looked, you're in the top 10 natural health sites. So that's pretty darn good. And it's quite an achievement. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm working to help a lot of people sim similar to the yeah, way you obviously are. Obviously you are. <laughs> and uh, just remember that when the more people you help with this information, the more you're going to be vilified. <laughs> yeah. <I've laughs> they kind of, don't like that. I've kind of noticed that. And it, it actually threw me for a little while. And uh, thanks to uh, some some encouragement from uh, JJ Virgin, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you know she really helped me out, and uh, Michael Fishman, and and actually Tim Ferriss too uh, yeah. was Tim's like, good, here's, yeah, he's a good guy. He's like, here's how to deal with him. Like, oh, that's right. So I, I just don't worry about it, you know. Um, and you've certainly been vilified, but from <laughs> <laughs> from what I can see, uh, 
you're you're directionally accurate and if and if there's something that needs tweaking you've shown a willingness to to change your recommendations like eat more fat like add intermittent fasting like at high intensity interval training over the years you've clearly evolved and been very public about it so like what else can people ask for yeah just just be honest and know the life's a journey and it's you know uh just share what you learn and be honest about it so that's awesome. awesome well all right well thanks again dave thanks for all your work and uh Keep up the good work. All right. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor. Go out there and check out Effortless Healing, Dr. Mercola's book, and check out his work because it's good work. And while you're at it, I would love it if you went on to iTunes and you said Bulletproof Radio rocks. Give us a thumbs up or a star, whatever you do on iTunes to say that we're good. Thank you so much. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.